Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Today, it's day two of the Democrats' opening argument. Here on the podcast, we're going to examine what we've heard from the House managers in the first couple of hours of today's presentation and try to focus on some of the big contextual questions that are out there. The best place to get breaking news on this Senate trial, as always, is CNN.com slash impeachment. I urge you to go there, stay there throughout the day, minute by minute updates all day and evening long. In a few minutes, I'll be talking with CNN legal analyst Carrie Cordero. But first, I've got my colleague Jeremy Herb on the phone. Jeremy, uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So take me inside the Senate chamber. What is uh, the sensibility of the senators as they sort of walked in a couple of hours ago? We're taping this uh, in the afternoon. They've had one break. But what was your sense of how senators were approaching uh, this day two of the Democratic House managers making the case? I think senators, you know, I think they're getting into a little bit of a routine now. We have that first marathon day where they gaveled out at 1.50 in the morning. And then they had to come back yesterday and listen to another eight hours. And unlike the first day where they got to vote every couple hours, which gave a natural break, yesterday it was straight presentation all from the Democrats. And it was tough. You know, we, we were a lot, it was a lot of, we were looking at, um, you know, how many of them were getting up from their chairs. And it turned out to be quite a few. I remember I was in there at one point around probably 536 o'clock yesterday before dinner, and I counted 25 empty seats out of the 100 senators. And a lot of them, they weren't out of the chamber. They were standing in the back and or uh, kind of walking around. And I mean, it's, it, it, in a lot of cases, it's a way to try to keep stay awake through this because it's not an easy job they have. But senators, they had some energy today. They were talking, a lot of Republicans were talking about how this felt repetitive and they were hoping to hear something new today. The Democrats were talking about how effective they thought the managers were yesterday, particularly Schiff. Um, and so I think now we'll see uh, as, as the, this presentation moves into the why these are impeachable offenses today from the Democrats, if those arguments from the senators themselves or if their opinions of what they're hearing changes at all. Jeremy, it's not just the Democrats who have been complimentary of Adam Schiff's uh, performance so far. Apparently, Lindsey Graham bumped into him as they were leaving last night after the trial and uh, congratulated him on a job well done of that first day of arguments. Not that that means, of course, that Lindsey Graham is all of a sudden switching his vote here. I'm not suggesting that. But uh, are Republicans uh, somewhat impressed with his performance as well? Yeah, you know, that was one of the more remarkable things I think that happened yesterday. And obviously was, as you said, at the very tail end of the day. But it, I think that is a very large compliment to Adam Schiff, who is no fan of Republicans. And, you know, they do not have a high opinion of him. And for, for Graham, you know, one of the president's chief defenders to say that, I think that shows how well put together this Democratic presentation was. He's giving speeches, but he's also making a case. And he's a former prosecutor. He's tried an impeachment before. He tried a judicial impeachment back a few years ago. And so I think it does say say something to the effectiveness of their presentation. That 
said, we heard from Graham before he went in today, and he said, yes, he gave a good presentation, but it's only half the story, and they need to investigate the Bidens, and I'm not going to support any witnesses, uh, all of which, of course, is a sign that his mind is not being changed one bit by what Mr. Schiff is saying. Um, again, it's going to come down to that half a dozen or so Republican senators who haven't said a whole lot yet about um, exactly where they are into this. And I think they're, you know, they're the ones we're tracking on Capitol Hill. We're chasing around, trying to get something out of, you know, I spoke to Lisa McCaffrey earlier today and she gave us a little something. Um, but it's the opinion of those few kind of key moderate senators that really are what's going to matter here. Jeremy, before I let you get back to work, uh, I saw some reporting from our team, some color inside the Senate chamber. Is it true that one of the senators actually bought like brought uh, stress balls or uh, those fidget things uh, to occupy their time while they're listening? It is, in fact, true. Uh, Richard Burr, the senator of the Senate Intelligence Committee, he brought uh, a bag of it was fidget spinners, balls, and other toys. Uh, his spokeswoman actually told me that he was in charge of the Senate Republican lunch today. And the Republicans, they have a, a, a daily or weekly lunch, depending on what's happening. And one senator is responsible for bringing the food, and it's often home state food. So today, Richard Burr decided that in addition to bringing food for his members, he would also bring these fidget spinners and other toys to try and help the members get through these hours. Now, I said I haven't been in there yet, but I am curious and have a feeling I already know the answer as to whether those key moderates like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who have been paying very close attention throughout this, I have a feeling they are not some of the senators who took those. But there are, we have seen several of them on the senators' desks as they're listening to these presentations. Jeremy Herb, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Get back to work up there and uh, let us know as things develop throughout the day. Thank you. All right. As Jeremy returns to the Senate trial, we have plenty more to discuss here on the podcast. Joining me now is CNN legal analyst Carrie Cordero. Carrie, it's a pleasure to have you. David, happy to be here. Carrie, I want to delve into the arguments that we're hearing a little bit today on the Senate floor. Carrie, take a listen to Jerry Nadler here uh, talking about that uh, somehow you could disapprove of the president's misconduct, but that it may not be misconduct he could be removed from office for. Take a listen. No president has ever used his office to compel a foreign nation to help him cheat in our elections. Prior presidents would be shocked to the core by such conduct, and rightly so. Now, because President Trump has largely failed to convince the country that his conduct was remotely acceptable, he has adopted a fallback position. He argues that even if we disapprove of his misconduct, we cannot remove him for it. Frankly, that argument is itself terrifying. It confirms that this president sees no limits on his power or on his ability to use his public office for private gain. At core, Carrie, isn't this about the limits of presidential power? It is. So one of the articles of impeachment and the one that uh, Representative Nadler is referring to there has to do with abuse of power. That is what the House is charging the president with, that he abused his power. And what he's getting at is that the president's uh, legal team seems to be arguing, and I think this is part of what we will expect to hear from them when it's their turn to present their opening arguments, that the president can't even be charged with abuse of power. It's one thing to argue 
here's the conduct, but that conduct doesn't meet an impeachable standard. And I think we will hailish some of those arguments just in terms of a difference of opinion. That'll as be to, Dershowitz's entire argument, right? I mean, why he's there. As to what facts, uh, what facts constitute impeachable conduct. But it's a different thing to argue that the president can't even be charged with abuse of power. And that's what Representative Nadler is getting at. Because if you can't charge a president with abuse of power, then how is it that the president can be removed for abusing the powers of his office? In other words, if he doesn't commit something that is an overt crime, like shooting someone on Fifth Avenue, then if he abuses his powers of his authority, how can he be held accountable? And the argument, if you take it to an extreme, what it means is that they are uh, the president's defenders may be putting forth a position that there is no such a thing as a president abusing his power, which really just doesn't make any constitutional. And it sounds like they're going to make that argument if I'm reading their briefs properly or listening to them on cable news at the moment. The White House team that especially in the realm of foreign policy, uh, that it, it is impossible to limit the president's ability to conduct foreign policy. That's right. So one of the areas where the president, a president and executive does have very strong authorities is in the area of foreign policy and national security and defense. There's wide consensus about that. It's not particularly controversial from one political party to the other or one legal interpretation to another. Um, But what's different about the facts and the burden that the House managers have of proving is that what the president was engaged in was not an lawful or an appropriate exercise of his foreign policy authority, that the purpose of his asking the president of the Ukraine to announce the investigations into the Bidens was not for United States defense or national security or foreign policy purposes, but it was for his own personal political interests. And just from your legal expertise, what what is the difficulty in proving intent that, you know, I mean, you lay out all these facts. He's he is uh, he has talked about the 2020 election. Joe Biden has no context for Donald Trump other than the 2020 election. Just stating that uh, hasn't been enough to get the Republicans to sort of say, yes, it's totally obvious. This is about the uh, his reelection chances. How do you how do you prove the president's intent and motive here that it is for personal political gain and not a foreign policy matter. Well, particularly because the president certainly hasn't agreed and didn't in the House proceedings to be interviewed um, or uh, to provide testimony. The way that the House managers would need to prove it is through either circumstantial evidence, meaning the testimony of other people who were around the president or heard phone calls. And so that's where the testimony of Gordon Sondland, for example, becomes very relevant. And then through documents. Documents. And that's why they also are the House managers are going to be arguing and they are arguing for the admittance of documents, including recently discovered documents. And the one that comes to mind is the letter from Rudy Giuliani um, to the Ukrainian government requesting a meeting. And what he says in that letter is that he represents Donald Trump in his personal capacity. That letter needs to be evidence in this proceeding, and it won't be unless the senators allow it. This is when the hunt for those four Republicans to come over and vote with the Democrats. Um, Before I let you go, I want you to hear um, 
what Jerry Nadler did on the floor, he he played a little classic Lindsey Graham sound back from the Clinton impeachment day. And there are just it is amazing to me how many of these clips exist that where you see Republicans and Democrats in different places now that the shoe is on the other foot. Take a listen. And I might say the same thing of then House manager Lindsey Graham, who in President Clinton's trial flatly rejected the notion that impeachable offenses are limited to violations of established law. Here is what he said. What's a high crime? How about if an important person hurts somebody of low means? It's not very scholarly, but I think it's the truth. I think that's what they meant by high crimes. Doesn't even have to be a crime. It's just when you start using your office and you're acting in a way that hurts people, you've committed a high crime. So Lindsey Graham in the late 90s was uh, he does he didn't think you had to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue to use your example earlier of an actual overt crime. He said high crimes are defined in many ways. Today, he's on a totally different side. Well, he is. And if you take the uh, Lindsey Graham interpretation that all it means is that you use your office and you're acting in a way that hurts people, then my goodness, Donald Trump could be impeached for his tweets um, and in the way that they have gone after people and and put private citizens' names out into the public domain to his many tens of millions of followers um, and the derogatory things that he says about all sorts of people. So Lindsey Graham was arguing for a very low standard, um, very different than what the House managers are arguing in this proceeding, which is that the president should be he has already been impeached, but that he should be removed from office um, and the Senate should convict because he abused his foreign policy and national security authorities in a way that benefited him politically and personally. And also that he solicited foreign interference in the election, which is something that gets to the heart of the integrity of our electoral processes. So uh, the old Lindsey Graham was arguing for something that is a much lower bar than he is and his uh, political allies are looking for the House managers to prove today. Yeah, not so low a bar that it didn't even meet Nancy Pelosi's threshold, uh, as you're saying. Like, she wasn't ready to impeach the president over his tweets or over other things. It was because of this circumstance of what she saw as a clear abuse of power uh, that she indeed moved forward with impeachment. So uh, it's worth noting, I just think from a sort of trial lawyer tactic, it's interesting that Adler would sort of expose the hypocrisy to one of the jurors sitting right before him on the Senate floor. Well, it just shows that the argument in particular, which it looks like they expect to be having this conversation over several days of this proceeding now, whether or not a criminal violation is required or not, um, it, it is, I think it was an effective technique in the proceeding today. And I thought Chairman Nadler's presentation in particular um, was much more on point and uh, organized and effective today. I agree. Certainly than we've seen even from him uh, recently throughout this. Carrie Cordero, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Great to be here. As I mentioned, go to CNN.com slash impeachment. Keep up with every latest development on the impeachment trial. As always, we'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Remember, we've got a new episode every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow.